the Word of God, and we want to go together to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, and also chapter 18. So if you find 11 first, uh, and then find 18, and put your finger in 18, we'll, we'll read 11, uh, part of 11 first. But first of all, just let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. And we thank you, Lord, that if we open up this word, that you will show us wondrous things out of it. We thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of our souls and spirits goes right to the very joints and marrows and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So Lord, enlighten us with your word today. Cause us, Lord, to see it, to know it, and above all, to do it. So we give you thanks, Lord. Now by your Holy Spirit, the author of this inspired word, open our eyes that we may see it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Luke 11, reading from verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if, if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, are naturally sinful and carnal people, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And then in Luke chapter 18, something similar here. Then He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, 
get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily or suddenly, that means. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The title of my message today echoes the words of Jesus, echoes the words of the disciples to Jesus when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that will be our theme over these next few weeks. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, there are two ways in which we can deal with this great subject. And it is a vast subject, actually. One way is to put you all on a mega guilt trip and use it as a big stick to beat us all into shape. Or, alternatively, to begin to think about the blessings and the advantages that there are whenever we draw close to Christ in prayer. Now, the former may get us started in prayer. In fact, it may get us even to continue in prayer. But it will be joyless. It will become a chore. It will become a duty in which there is little or no delight. We may do it, but we receive very little from it. The latter, on the other hand, can be a wonderful joy, a delight, something that we ourselves want to do and delight to do, especially whenever we pray and we sense and realize that God is present with us. Now, my feeling is that most of us know the former, but we really want to live in the latter. I think the disciples must have felt something similar. They looked at Jesus, and they envied his prayer life with the Father. Notice that they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach or teach us even to cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead. All of that would have been admirable. But that's not what they asked. The thing that fascinated them, the thing that really got their attention, was how Jesus prayed. Now, no doubt, they had prayed all their life. Certainly, they were used to seeing the Pharisees in the marketplace praying out loud in front of everybody. But that was a show and a sham. But there was something about the intimacy that Christ had with the Father. There was something about those times when he drew himself aside. And they watched him. And they wondered. It's such marvelous prayers that he prayed. And it, it was so natural. To Jesus it was as natural as breathing. It should be to us, but it isn't. But it was to him. And I think that they quickly realized that, that everything that flowed from Christ's life was the outflow of that relationship that he had with the Father. 
And so hopefully our approach will be positive, yet challenging. Because Jesus did say in Luke 18 that men ought, ought always to pray. So there's an imperative there. It's not even a suggestion. Ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And it is true that in the Garden of Gethsemane, at, at that most vital, crucial moment before the cross, how that when he took Peter, James, and John, and he took them with him to prayer, and how they fell asleep. And he said, could you not watch with the one hour? He rebuked them for that. But generally, for the most part, he was very positive about prayer. And he taught them, in a sense, through his personal example. That, that's what caught their attention. Before he ever gave them a model or before he ever gave them these parables, he already got their attention by his personal example. And also by those two parables that we just read and we're going to look at in a moment. And also by the, the wonderful answers to prayer that he got. And so a combination of all of those things uh, caused these men to really, really desire uh, to have a, a prayer life that was effective. Now in, the response to their, in his response to their asking, Lord, teach us to pray, uh, he gives them, first of all, this prayer, which is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. This is a shortened version. Matthew gives the longer, fuller version. But it's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But actually, technically, accurately, John 17 truly is the Lord's Prayer. That was his great prayer for the church. But this is a model prayer. It's a good model. Now, I'm not going to get into it today. No doubt we'll, we will at some point in this series that we're going to do. But I want us to look a little bit about the two parables and, and then the asking, seeking, knocking part of it. Because I think this teaches, uh, above all things, persistence in prayer. And, and, and of course, promises uh, in prayer. Now, it's interesting that Luke, uh, the gospel writer here, has more to say about Jesus' prayer life than any of the other ones. In fact, he records six different occasions when Jesus prayed. And so he must have been, when he was getting all of this information to cause this gospel to happen, he, he must have been entering, he must have been asking, well, when did Jesus pray? What did he pray? How did he pray? I mean, it must, it must have been a big subject among the disciples and those who followed after. And so he records for us these two parables, one on chapter 11, one on chapter 18, and they're quite similar uh, and yet, uh, they have distinctives. Uh, one regards uh, a man uh, coming and asking. The other regards a woman who comes and asks. In the first one, the man is asking for the need of a friend to be met. In the second one, the woman is asking for her need to be met. In the first one, the man asks a friend. In the second one, the woman asks the unjust judge. So there's distinctives in these two. 
And the first one, the man is asking for provision. He wanted bread. And the second one, the woman is asking for protection against her adversary. And so there are differences between these two. But both of them, the, the lesson in both of them is persistence in prayer. Not giving up in prayer. Holding on in prayer. Not really backing off in prayer. And Jesus uses two examples, which would be whether he knew these by example or whether he made them up, but it resonated with the, the audience, with those he was speaking to, particularly the disciples. They, they could understand what he was saying. They could think of occasions when that would happen. For instance, in this uh, very first one, we see this man who had a friend coming at midnight and he knocked on his door and he needed some food. Now, there's nothing unusual in that, in that, in Eastern society, even today, but particularly then, hospitality was a major thing. And so if somebody came to your door, even at midnight, even at that most inconvenient hour, it was your duty and obligation to try to help that person. And not only would he be looking some bread, but at that time of night, he'd be looking, maybe he'd be kept for the night. Uh, it was not unusual for people in those hot climates to travel in the evening time, because they had to walk, in the evening time rather than the hot uh, time of the, the day. And so there's nothing unusual in that. However, this man, when the knock came to his door, he was caught in the hop, as we would say. He wasn't prepared for it. He didn't have any bread. Now again, maybe not something unusual in that, in that bread was made daily. Uh, they would be made first thing in the morning, and they would usually just make enough for their family, maybe a little bit, maybe more, for that day, because it wouldn't keep, and then they'd make the next day. And so he came at this inconvenient hour, he knocked on his door, he wanted some bread, he's wanting kept for the night. And being his friend, he went to a neighbor, another friend. And he knocked on his door. And he said, look, I need your help. I have a friend who's come to me, he told him the story, I have no bread, I need you to give me some bread. And so this neighbor friend, if you could even call him that, was very curt. If I could put it in the vernacular, he says, get lost. Clear off. Go away. Give my head peace, we would say in Northern Ireland. So he wasn't very neighborly, was he? And he didn't want to get up at midnight. He says, I'm in bed with my children, my whole family. Now again, this was probably a one-room house that served as a living room and a bedroom and a kitchen and everything else combined. And at night time, they put a blanket on the floor. They'd all lie there, cover themselves up to the next morning. And they'd just get a big bolt on the door on the inside of the door. It'd be open during the day, it'd be bolted at night. And so for him to get up at midnight, he'd have to light a lamp, he'd have to unlock the door, he'd waken the whole house up. So he says, clear off. But he wouldn't clear off. He was very persistent. And he kept knocking. And he kept asking. And he kept pleading. And he would not go away. To the point where the man inside thought, I'll never get to sleep tonight. If I don't get up and do this, I will not get to sleep. So he got up, inconvenient as it was, woke the whole household up, put the lamp on, got the door, gave him his bread, shut the door and went to bed again. And Jesus said he did that, not because he was his friend, but because the guy was very, very persistent. Now the woman 
in Luke 18, who went to the unjust judge, the widow. Interestingly, Luke has more to say about widows than any other gospel writer. Maybe being a doctor, maybe he was interested in the social side of life. Widows had it very, very hard in those days. Normally, a widow, when somebody became a widow, in order for their posterity to go on, that her late husband's brother would normally take her to be a wife if he was in that position to do that, or actually wanted to do that. Well, this woman is a widow, so either there was no brother to take her on, or nobody wanted to take her on, and that made it really, really difficult in those days. Now, God had made provision in the Old Testament for widows and orphans and all the rest of it, but it wasn't always put into practice. And so this woman was hard done by. Whoever the adversary was, wasn't dealing very kindly with her. So she did the only thing she could do. She went to the judge. And she knocked on his door. And she says, look, got to help me. I've got this adversary. I need protection. I need help here. And what did he Bible said about him, he didn't even care about God, he didn't care about anybody else. You know, the people who do not care about God does not really care about people, really. That's a whole other subject I can't get into, but he didn't care about God. He didn't even regard man. He thought nothing of this woman. He could care less about her. She was just a bother, just a pest, an annoyance, an inconvenience. But she would not give up. She just would not give up. And in the end, she wore him down. <laughs> and because he wanted to get peace, he realized, I, I, I'm going to have to help this woman because she's just not going to go away. And so, because of her persistence, the King James says, importunity. In fact, the word importunity is even stronger. It means shamelessness. She had no shame. She wasn't embarrassed. She was going to get the answer. And she didn't care what it took. She was going to knock and knock and ask and ask and seek and seek until she got the answer. And she got her answer. And so, Jesus is trying to teach us in these parables that we are not to give up and not to give in easily. Not to give up at the first or the second or the third hurdle. And often we do that, don't we? We pray for a day, we pray for a week, we pray for a month, and then we just give up. The answer doesn't come. Now, of course, Jesus is not implying this is important. He's not implying that God is like the householder at midnight or like the unjust judge. That's not the nature of God. He's using a, a Jewish way of teaching something where they argue from the lesser to the greater. And he took the worst example to make a greater point. And here's what he's really, really trying to say to us. Look, in these two cases, if this man and this woman, in this world of indifferent friends and unjust judges, if they, by their sheer persistence, 
If they got what they wanted for no other reason than they were persistent, how much more will you get from your heavenly Father who really does love you, who really does care about your needs, who wants to give you, who wants to bless you? So, see his argument from the lesser to the greater. And so, He's wanting us to come to Father, not thinking like the Father's like the unjust judge who's just, we're just going to wear God down and say, oh, I'm fed up with hearing this boy pray this all the time. Just let's meet that day and get rid of him. Because if you think God's like that, you'll not have much joy or pleasure in praying. God will become a big ogre, an ogre up there somewhere who's just waiting just to beat you. But he's our heavenly Father. He's God who truly cares about everything in your life, every detail of your life. That's the God that we serve. Now, there will be times, and this is a lesson in these parables too, there will be times when it may seem like God is like the unjust judge, particularly when he's a bit slow to answer your request. There's times it may seem like he's that householder who couldn't be bothered, especially whenever he just doesn't seem to grasp the urgency of your need. Now, I know that you're all super spiritual people, and you would never think that about God. Sure you wouldn't. Yes, you would, wouldn't you? And all of us had those moments where we thought, God, where are you? Do you not realize how long I've been praying this? Do you not understand how many times I have asked you this? Now, you wouldn't say it, but you're thinking, is God deaf to this request? Does he not hear? It would not dawn on us, would it, that maybe God is trying to teach us persistence. You know, every time you prayed and every time you clicked your finger, God just gave you what you wanted. You wouldn't understand persistence. You wouldn't even need faith anymore. God would become like a vending machine. You just put the money in, you get your coke out, and that's it. There would be no relationship. There would be no real prayer. You would just feel, well, I just got to ask, and that's it. But when there's a delay, and you got to wait sometimes, when it seems like God's not speaking anymore, what do you do then? That's where the test comes, isn't it? And so in those times, he, he just may be teaching us the value of persistent and persevering prayer of not giving up. Remember Abraham? How that Lot and his family was in Sodom. And how that God came to Abraham and said he was going to destroy these two great cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the wickedness. And how that Abraham began to plead with God. God, if there's 50 righteous souls in the city, will you spare it? God says, I'll spare it. Lord, if there's 40 righteous souls. Remember how all the way down, pleading with God, persisting with God. Lord, if there's 10 in the city. I'll save it if there's 10. There wasn't actually 10. But because of his persistence, Lot's family was spared. And that's really, really who he wanted to see spared.
Lot's family. Do you remember Jacob, the Bible says, and how that he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? Do you remember what he said? I will not let you go until you bless me. And he held on for dear life until the morning broke. He wrestled all night <coughs> until the angel of the Lord blessed him. And instead of being Jacob, that cheat and supplanter, he became Israel, a prince with God. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 15? That lovely story. One of those very few occasions when Jesus made this remark. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from here and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her, Not a word. Now, unless we really read the Gospels and really begin to understand the heart of Christ, this seemed a bit impolite, to say the least. He answered her not a word. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. They couldn't be bothered. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Whew. How would you like that said to you? This seems so out of character for Jesus to say this. You know, anybody outside Israel, the Jew called them dogs. They're very condescending. So Jesus uses that term. And he said it's not right to take the children's bread. We're Jews. You're from Tyre and Sidon. It's not right to take what belongs to us to give it to you. Now he kind of tempered a little bit and said to the little puppies. And she said, yes, Lord. That's true. I can't deny that. That's true. Yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. <laughs> what an answer. What a brilliant answer. This woman would not be denied. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour.
Hmm. Great is your faith. That's what he wanted to elicit. That's what he was teasing out of her. Getting her to see how persistent she would be. Would she take it as a snub? Would she be highly offended? Would she get mad and stump off? Or would she say, no matter what you say, I'm going to keep asking. And he says, great is your faith. And so Jesus is teaching us here persistence, perseverance, not giving up. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And that's another way of saying that sometimes spiritual things are not just going to come easily. You're going to have to be strong and take it. You're going to have to fight for it sometimes. That's what he's really saying. He's not saying you go out and knock the block of somebody out in the street. You know, witness of somebody, are you safe? No, whop, bang. You should be. Not talking about that kind of violence, but spiritual violence. Instead of just lying down all the time, and letting the evil one walk all over us. That we stand up. And so in Luke chapter 11. In order to reinforce that. In verse 9 he says. So I say to you. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you. And so there, there, there seems to imply there a, a, a progression. Almost like a process. And asking and seeking and knocking. And so we don't give up at the first hurdle or the second hurdle or the third hurdle. We keep on asking and seeking and knocking. And the way that it, the grammar of that, the way that it's written, is that it's a continual asking, a continual seeking, and a continual knocking. You say, Well, I thought if I ask, if, if I ask more than twice, I'm not asking in faith. Well, evidently Jesus didn't believe that, or he wouldn't have taught us to do this. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? You know, the bread we talked about earlier, you know, it was sitting in the palm of your hand. It was little, just a little round, big little thing. And it could look like a stone. Remember, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, turned these stones into bread. They looked like stones. Sure, go ahead and turn them into bread and eat them. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, if you're in your natural, carnal sinful selves if you know how to give gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give one translation says the good things of the spirit to those who ask him now did you notice that in those both parables that they were very specific 
The man wanted three loaves. Now, there's nothing spiritual in three loaves. Probably he wanted to eat one and give two to his friend who came. He wanted to dine with him. But it's very specific. I want three loaves. The woman says, avenge me of my adversary. And no doubt, because he was a judge, no doubt she had to specify, lay it out. What's the problem? Why are you asking me this? What's the deal here? And oftentimes this is where we feel in our prayers we're not specific enough. We don't detail it. Did you ever, well we all do it, I do it certainly. Did you ever pray for someone and say, Oh Lord bless. And that's it. What does that mean? Oh Lord, meet the needs of, and you think, well, what are the needs? I haven't mentioned them. And we all do that, don't we? It's a kind of a shorthand. We say, well, God understands. He knows anyway. Now, sometimes we don't know what the person's need is, and we don't know how to pray, and that's okay. But if we do know, why not say it? Why not mention specifically the need? And if you've got a need in your life, oh, Lord, bless me. Well, how do you want me to bless you? What's the need? What are you asking for? When your children come to you when they're small, they have no qualms about asking you. Sure they haven't. They mightn't get what they ask for, but they ask. And they're quite bold about it too. Ah, and have you noticed they're very persistent? Eh? They just yap, 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 yap. We being human, oftentimes we just give in, don't we? So, in our prayers, we need to be specific. Sometimes we just need to be very clear what we're asking God. I'm going to come to an important thing in a moment here. But to be very clear. Say, God, this is what I need. This is what I need. The man got what he needed. It took him a while to get it, but he got it. And there's going to be times when you and I, it's going to take a while. And we're going to have to persevere. And we're going to have to trust and believe. And say, Lord, I don't understand the delay. I feel I need this right now. But maybe you feel otherwise. Maybe you're teasing faith out of me. Maybe you're teasing persistence out of me. Maybe you're teasing something else out of me. Maybe that's why you're waiting. But I trust your heart and I believe in you, so I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on believing. There's a story in Luke chapter 1. It's normally read around the Christmas time. It's part of the Christmas story. But here's the thing here, whenever you Whenever you're praying for something for a long time, this can happen. Verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abiah. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, 
And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he entered the temple of the Lord. Now this was a very high privilege. Priests could go all of their lives and never get this privilege. And it was drawn by lots. So it happened that the lot fell for him. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the door of the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. <coughs> Excuse me. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Ah, what prayer is this? Specifically. This is a man that prayed every single day. Probably had a big list of prayers. But here it is. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, stop there. You would think that the angel Gabriel appeared to you. When you get over your shock and your fear, and he said to you, don't be afraid, your prayer is heard. You would think at that point you would be ecstatic. You would think at that point you'd be full of joy. The angel of God has come from heaven. He's heard my prayer and he's come to give me the answer to my prayer. You would think he'd be dancing at this point. But he isn't. Notice what he said. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? <laughs> what? Could an angel, Gabriel, appears. I mean, if that wouldn't convince you, what in the world would convince you? How shall I know this? But you see, here's his problem. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Ah, now. Nah. Think about this for a moment. How long do you think they had been praying this prayer? My guess is for years and years and years. In fact, my guess is that at some point they stopped praying about it. They probably prayed about this faithfully till they got to the place where they looked at themselves and said, We're past having children. You know, 10 years ago, yes. Five years ago, maybe. I mean, it was just borderline, but now it's too late. We're too advanced in years. And so my feeling is that they probably had long since given up praying this prayer. Have you ever given up praying a prayer? Now, here's the thing. 
God sometimes will answer prayers that you've even given up on because they were in his will. Their prayer was in God's will. There's no question about that. The only question was about the timing of the answer. And this is God's perfect timing. But they didn't know that. No doubt like any other couple, childless couple in Israel, that was a great stigma. No doubt they wanted a child and no doubt they wanted a man-child who maybe could turn out to be the Messiah. All of that is, is <laughs> that's wonderful. That, that would be normal. But God had a big plan for this couple and the son of this couple. And when they prayed that prayer all of those years, it was in God's will. But because they looked at themselves and they felt the time had passed, it was over, it could never come back, it's gone, it's over, then suddenly when the angel came, he probably had to think for a minute. My prayer is heard? What prayer is that? <laughs> Your wife Elizabeth, she's going to conceive, she's going to bear a son. He, 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 his answer is incredulous, isn't it? I mean, but how can this be? I'm an old man, my wife's an old woman. But it happened, didn't it? His prayer was answered. Even, and, and we're not advocating you, you give up praying because the whole teaching this morning is persistence in prayer. But if you pray something in God's will, even if you've given up on it, doesn't mean God has given up on it. And the trouble is, but here's the problem, when the answer comes, will you be ready for it? He wasn't ready for it. Now listen what happens. He wasn't ready for it. Wait, I lost my place. Better go back to look one. Verse 19 now. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But... Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Ah. See, he wasn't ready for the answer, was he? He should have embraced it immediately. He should have been filled with joy and gladness and danced a jig before the angel because God had answered this prayer but he wasn't waiting for it. He wasn't waiting for the answer even. The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple, but when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And then you know how that she went and visited Mary. And how that whenever Mary told her the wonderful story of the angel coming to visit her, and now she's with child of the Holy Spirit. And how that the babe leapt at Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And do you know what? He had to pray. 
Remember what the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples? He had to pray. Jesus was the Son of God. The very Son of God. The second person in the divine trinity. And his days on earth, he had to pray. So, we got to pray. we got to pray. And we've got to be persistent in our prayers. Many a person has testified that they prayed for a certain person to get saved for years and years. My mother prayed for one of her brothers to get saved from as long as I can remember. And do you know by the time I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord just before he died, do you know my mother didn't even know at that point she had a brother? Because she was 98 she was about 96 at that time, 97. But her mind was gone. She didn't even know I was her son. But God answered that prayer. Because that prayer was in the will of God. And it took all of those years. It took him to, he was in his 80s. Until I think it was the day before he died. For that prayer to be answered. So never give up on your prayers. Be persistent. Persevere. You know, it's possible for you to die and go to the glory and for your prayer to be answered at some point on this earth if it's in the will of God. So be encouraged, saints, today. And be encouraged to pray persistently. Saying, Lord, there's some of my prayers I have given up on and Lord, I'm going to pick up on them again. I'm going to dig out that prayer list. I'm going to look at it and say, Lord, did I give up on those prayers when I shouldn't have given up on them? I'm going to remember that person again. I'm going to bring that need before the Lord again. And this time realize that you've got a heavenly Father who does love you, who wants to meet the need, who does desperately care about you, but he wants you to come into relationship. He wants you to see and know and understand him as loving Heavenly Father who cares. And it may take a little while, but he's just teaching us something we need to learn and to understand. Amen? Let's pray.